Welcome to the Battleground Wisconsin. My name is Matt Bruskin. I'm the Deputy Director here at Citizen Action of Wisconsin. And welcome to another beautiful winter week here from the great state of Wisconsin. We have a lot to talk about. We have a lot going on in our state. We are going to talk more about the Trump fake electors and the very specific ties to Wisconsin in this story nationally. Uh, breaking news today. We'll talk more about that later. Um, we're also going to talk about things going on in the state connected to basically, <laughs> quite frankly, the seizure of our democracy efforts to basically dis destroy the uh, nonpartisan election commission and a number of other things this week here in in-state politics. We'll also be joined later in the show by Marina Dmitrievich, who was endorsed this week by the Citizen Action of Wisconsin board. We'll talk more with Marina. She's running for the mayor of Milwaukee. And we'll talk more about why that race is so important. But we are going to start with a little bit of national news. We have been focusing throughout around Build Back Better just because we believe this is a historic opportunity to, to definitely get started on trying to deal with a number of major issues, including uh, 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 the climate genocide <laughs> that we're headed towards. Um, however, it's very clear that, you know, Build Back Better is going to be very different, probably be a different name, and it's going to come back, and it's they're going to be very critical pieces, pieces that hopefully, right, meet Senator Manchin and cinema's uh, desires. Uh, Robert, we're sort of in a stasis of kind of waiting uh, to, to figure out what is next while understanding there will be things next, and we as progressives need to keep pressure up on making sure that there is something next. But any, I just wanted to get some thoughts from you first on just the context we're in. And then Claire later is going to tell us more, talk to us more about things that we are planning to actually keep the pressure up. But Robert, your thought on the state of where we're at with the at the federal level trying to move something as big as Build Back Better or its next iter of? Well, we're in a period of, of political evolution and revolution, where the Democratic Party's voting base is more progressive by far than it's been in decades, and where the needs of the country and the crises we face are overwhelming. And this is all within the Democratic Party. Democratic Party, with elected officials, has the votes. 99% of elected Democrats in Congress support this. We have a problem with two uh, obstructionists. Uh, 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 conservative Democrats in the Senate. And another problem we've talked about in this show, an establishment Democratic group of pundits and consultants and you know, other media squawkers uh, that are undermining it by declaring defeat and trying to use it to wrestle away from progressives the influence they have in this administration. And to go back to the good old days of the Clinton years where moderates with, with very weak, mod, moderate policies dominated. And so this is friendly fire. And the problem we have is, is that we can still get huge chunks of Build Back Better. The last uh, counterproposal by, by Sandra Manchin uh, included the half trillion for climate change, which we have to do. If we don't start now with this opportunity, we have a 2030 deadline to cut emissions in half. It might not happen. It threatens human civilization. It really does. 
and another number of other structural reforms. He included universal pre-K, which is huge, and big investments that that make healthcare far more affordable. Always one of the top public concerns and pocketbook issues. So we the the problem we're having is all these voices in the media, including in places like the Capital Times, Paul Fanlin, their editor publisher, Friday, uh, saying the problem is Biden's been too tied to the far left. No, the far left is the mainstream of the party now, and they want to go to a mythical bygone age of bipartisan compromises that really never existed, but something more like the 1990s, a political world that does not exist. The Democratic voting base was only 28% progressive in the year 2000. Now it's 51%, okay? And they're right about it. They're right that we need to act on climate change, structural racism, uh, the, the the, the, uh, the era of inequality where we where almost everyone except the top one percent is lost ground and it, and it, it, it's just we need paid leave we need we need child, affordable child care I could go on and on but the yeah. point is the, the game isn't lost and part of our side with friendly fire is damaging us right now the Republicans we know they're against it well well look I think you you raise a really legitimate point and Part of what's critical for us as progressives is to realize that and start acting, right? Like we need to not just sit around and all be spectators. You're at Citizen Action. We have a huge uh, plan. We're trying to see if we can pull together in the next, essentially next week or so over the next couple of weeks, efforts to go and talk to all of our congressional members, as many as we can. Uh, we know They may not all want to meet, but we would like to go to them and have a conversation about what's next. What are they willing to do, right, given what's at stake? And it's super important that we keep this pressure on and not just sit back and all sit by. Claire, I know one of the things we've talked a lot about is we need to not only be active locally, but at the state level, but work nationally. And we're really happy that we're trying to do and organize essentially a week of action might be over yeah. a few weeks around trying to to push this. Could you t- talk more about that? Absolutely. Uh, this is exciting. This is a uh, sort of national coordinated effort by folks like us around the country to demonstrate in a strong way to members of Congress that this is still a priority of the American people uh, that, you know, so what if it comes back under a bill that's name is different than Build Back Better. The branding doesn't really matter. What matters is the policies that are in it and what they'll do for people in our communities. And this is not just about um, trying to move those, you know, two senators who you're talking about um, who've been obstructionist on this bill towards supporting it. It's also about showing people who have been champions or supporters of Build Back Better that you know, their constituents don't want them to give up on this, that just because it's not in the news as much because the fight isn't as strong or not like in the heat of um, the debate around the bill right now that they get to stop focusing on it and just start working on other things, right? Like they need to hear from us that we want them to keep working on this issue. Yeah, look, I mean, this is this is really important and it, it goes bigger too. I'll just say it's a step even beyond. Uh, it starts with what Claire talked about, making sure all of uh, the members of Congress here in Wisconsin understand this is a priority. But look, 
this is also important to keep this in front of the public eye and to start educating folks moving away. Claire talked about moving away from this build back better, which doesn't necessarily mean anything. And there's a bunch of amazing things. We've spent a lot of time talking about them on the show that are a part of build back better and to actually be having conversations about that, including with members of Congress. That's what we're planning on doing. We're planning on trying to organize visits uh, this month with members of Congress, with folks from Citizen Action and from Wisconsin to continue to go talk about things that were in this uh, Build Back Better package that are a priority to you, that you would like to share with your member of Congress. And um, this will not be some quiet, closed meeting. We're going to really try to make a big deal, make, put the stuff on social media, get this going, and really try to make sure uh, folks like yourself and other progressives continue to understand not only what's in the bill, but that a lot of this stuff, these priorities are still going to move. Claire, do you have any more details or more information that you'd like to share as it relates to what we're thinking about doing? Yeah, we're hoping to hold these meetings with um, our members of Congress here in Wisconsin uh, towards the end of this month um, or the middle or later of the month. So if you are someone who is interested with at least trying to get a meeting with your uh, member of Congress, we can help with the um, coordinating of getting in touch with the members of Congress, um, with their office, scheduling, trying to convince them to take a meeting if they're not inclined to do so. Uh, we can't guarantee that they'll accept a meeting or that the meeting wouldn't be with staff, um, but we can help you with the, the outreach there. So. Um, uh, I think Matt, you'll maybe you want to chime in and say how folks uh, can contact us if they if they want to participate. Absolutely, Claire. Look, if you're interested, we have organizers around the state, and we can put you in touch with them. But if you're interested here, please email Brian B R I A N dot Wooldridge W O O L D R I D G E at citizenactionwi.org. And we'll get you in touch uh, with an organizer who, who is helping figure this out. It's And just super exciting. We're doing this, as Claire mentioned, in partnership with our national People's Action. And we've had folks on the show from People's Action before. Uh, we'll have them on again. Um, and you'll get training. If you're interested, if you let us know, certainly before next Tuesday, we can invite you to a national training where you'll learn how to help do more of this and and meet people from around the country who are like you who want to see things from build back better get passed but with that we're going to take a break when we come back we're going to continue talking i want to give robert one final opportunity uh, if he has any further thoughts on build back better but we have a lot more to talk about related to the effort to basically steal the election january 6th big news breaking today in the New York Times, today, Thursday, you're listening to the Battleground Wisconsin. We're Citizen Action. Welcome back to the Battleground Wisconsin. We spent the first show talking about a very exciting week of action. We're gonna we're gonna have uh, reaching out to Congress members. Although Robert, do you have anything you want to say? I want to first give you an opportunity. Was there anything else you wanted to say on Bill Back? Let Better? me just say a couple yeah. super quick things. And by the way, as to its name, I don't care if we if, <laughs> if Joe Manchin makes us call it Wild Wonderful West Virginia, their state logo, as long as we get key elements of this package. Um, but 
let me just say, uh, here's the thing. Biden, his whole career, everyone knows this, was not been a, a, a fire-breathing progressive. He's a political realist. He adapted to the situation of the world and the country, what it faces and what it needs, and to the changing face of the party. By the way, now a supermajority uh, minority party and, and, a, and a party where, where a vast majority of voters are, are women, okay? So we've never had a national party like this. So it's both what voters, Democratic voters want, what excites them, and it's what we need, right, to, to, uh, to deal with our actual problems. And that's what democracy requires. The threat to democracy is not just to the voting process. And it is also because democracy isn't delivering for people. And that makes them not participate. What you need to understand is we need to stay active. Biden's political play assumes that we're going to remain active and engage and keep pressure on Congress. And if we don't, he, a political realist, uh, well might determine we don't care and maybe he should move to a more centrist position. So it is on us. It's our agency. We can't do anything about the friendly fire from, from pundits and establishment consultants who have an interest in the current system. We need to, to win this fight. And this right. is the setup for the 2022 election. If you care about the 2022 election, we need to pass some stuff now. All right, folks, you need to get involved in this week of action. Again, contact Brian.Wildridge at citizenactionwi.org. That's B-R-I-A-N dot W-O-O-L-D-R-I-D-G-E at citizenactionwi.org. Okay. And I did all that because I really want you folks to get involved. So we're going to move to something that is we've been talking about a lot, and it has both huge fundamental national interest to our democracy, and it's hot here in Wisconsin, and we have breaking news today. I want to start, though, before we dive in to just say, look, since we last had a show where we were talking about all the news breaking on fake electors, last Friday, I believe it was, the January 6th committee subpoenaed some Wisconsin Republicans, in fact, two Wisconsin Republicans, um, to go and talk about what exactly happened and to try to get the details. And that was huge news and <laughs> plenty of plenty worth discussing. And we, we should talk about that. But then today, huge news breaking in the New York Times that actually has some of the goods that we've kind of figured out was out there that shows that President Trump's campaign had actually laid out a very clear rationale and his lawyers had, and that that Wisconsin was central to that, in particular, the lawyer for the Trump campaign here in Wisconsin. Um, Robert, I'm going to come back to you. I'm going to ask you to put your coffee down. Um, I know you were just talking, but I know you've dove into this article, shared it with us. I want to just make sure you get a sense to, to share any of what you think are the highlights in here. And then Claire, immediately your, your response. I mean, look, this is huge. I've talked about this. I'm tired of people talking about this as a normal off-year election. We had an insurrection that was clearly led by the president of the United States and key people in the Republican Party. Robert, what's the latest news? Yeah, let me quickly comment on the January 6th committee subpoenas. Look, the January 6th committee is doing a great job or we wouldn't have a legitimate investigation of an attempted uh, overthrow of our democratic government. Um, and it's not coming from the U.S. Attorney General, Merrick Marlin, though it doesn't seem to be where it should be. 
And the Republicans tried to kill it, and they made a huge strategic mistake and actually made it worse by by creating allowing Democrats to create an even better commission with two brave Republicans. And so these subpoenas, look, they had these uh, fake electors all notarized and sent them to Congress and the National Archives like they were for, for real. Law Forward last February filed complaints. You with it with an attorney general call and with the Milwaukee district attorney who's referred it back to call. No comment from call. Other attorney generals have moved. But thank goodness the Supreme Court, I mean, the, the January 6th commission, not the Supreme Court, is moving. And and there are two uh, members of the of the 10 fake Wisconsin electors that will be will have to come to D.C. and explain themselves. And now in The New York Times last night, what broke is. Two explosive memos, and one of them is the earliest memo. It's two weeks out of election. It's only about Wisconsin. It looks like Wisconsin was the template for the other states. And what it said is, we need the fake electors, and and in Wisconsin law, it has to occur in the state capitol so that if we can get the legislature to overturn the election and give it to Trump, or we can get Pence to do it, then we will have the electors in place by the December 14th deadline that's in the the voting the 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 the, 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 the voting and, counts act. And Robert, this is from Trump's attorneys, correct? We have two memos and there's another December 9th memo that takes it and broadens it and goes through all the states he did it in. But yes, and the memos are we will provide the link on our website in the Battleground Wisconsin section. The New York Times has full memos. I've read both of them and they're 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 so clear, it's unbelievable. There is no mistaking what this is. And so uh, the fake electors here were part of a conspiracy, that the same conspiracy that the attack on the Capitol was, because that was designed to make Pence not recognize the electors and throw it into disarray and then put these electors in play, the fake ones. And so they were part of this conspiracy. And so, as, as our friend uh, Senator Chris Larson revealed on the show last week, so is Congressman Scott Fitzgerald, who reserved the room for them to, to, to engage in this insurrectionist activity at, the, at our state capitol. It all comes together. Claire, your thoughts on all of this? Uh, I think it is uh, tremendously interesting, but probably not surprising that some of the earliest evidence, the the earliest evidence um, of this conspiracy was found here in Wisconsin. Um, we've known for a while or, um, you know, known in, in our gut, even if we didn't have the paper in our hands, that uh, Wisconsin was central to former President Trump's strategy to try to steal the election, um, that it was a major focus of both campaigns. And um, so it makes sense that he was not Trump, that is, was not willing to, you know, let go, let go of our state and, and accept the truth, which is that he had lost. It's, it's fascinating to see all of the internal political and legal machinations that they tried to try to try to steal the election. Um, the, the last thing I'll say is that I hope that this panel that is pulling together uh, folks from all of the different states um, and interviewing them before Congress about how this all played out. I hope that they um, use some of the evidence that um, State Senator Chris Larson talked about on our podcast. Um, 
that that he found that Scott Fitzgerald helped. Or and he got the room. He helped get the yeah. room that now was specifically requested by the Trump campaign. Absolutely. That's the connection. Yeah. And again, folks, yeah. we'd love to have people go visit Scott Fitzgerald's office and actually talk policy with them. But <laughs> well, uh, uh, or about this, but uh, that the just as, as to the memos, the memos make this seem like it's reasonable just in case the election results change. Let me ask you this. Then why was the certification in secret? I think when and why was the whole thing in secret, the whole legal strategy? I think we know that, yes, this was not some normal legal process of just uh, being prepared in case something strange happened with the vote, with the vote count. Well, the memo is also, though, pretty clear, though, that there was a huge role for Pence in here. And so that role was going to play out on the sixth, right? That or the state legislature taking over and naming the electors. So there were two. And And that's why Wisconsin was high on their list, right? They they had Wisconsin as being one of the more probable because they know our legislature so Dang, right. Man. And they our legislature, according to your kind, was asking our leaders were asking if they had the authority to name the electors of their own lawyers. That is also part huh. of the story. So they were part of the conspiracy. And furthermore, when we get to the changes they're making in election law right now or trying to. They're making things that would allow enable this in 2024. Well, that's, we will get to that. That's a wonderful transition. We're, we're heading into a break. And when we get back, we're going to talk about this connect, right there. This week was basically a series. I believe there were eight or 10 bills about essentially taking control of these election processes from nonpartisan or clerks and taking them and putting them in the hands of this gerrymandered legislature. You're listening to the battleground, Wisconsin. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Battleground Wisconsin. Look, folks, we're talking about what is the, in my mind, it is the most important issue in this election. What we just laid out in the last episode, the absolute attempt to try to steal an election and how it was connected to the insurrection that happened at the Capitol and how that connects back to Wisconsin and the campaign, the Trump campaign's theory that Wisconsin had a legislature that would basically roll with this and would do this even if Pence maybe didn't, didn't play out that way, but they certainly thought that was possible. And so that puts us into perspective what I want to talk about on this last segment. And Claire, I'm going to come to you. And that is this week, we just had like a series of bills to try to give the legislature all kinds of control uh, and basically take away all the power of the uh, current nonpartisan election commission, which I'll remind our listeners, the Republicans created because they didn't like the previous body that oversaw this. You see in a pattern here. Um, but before we actually talk about the deets, Claire, you and I were both struck by the article where Rebecca Clayfish was discussing this aspect, uh, the, these policies and, her language was, we were both struck by her desire to give people the ability one to have one neck to choke. What? What kind of democracy are we living in, Claire, where, where the voters are looking for one neck to choke? So this is a comment that she made um, as, I don't know, some sort of sick analogy um, for uh, why or in defense of why she supports dismantling the election commission and handing 
the ability to monitor and administer elections over to the legislature, um, thereby saying, you know, in her words, if if electors, meaning if voters, uh, want to hold somebody accountable, they only have to hold accountable the legislature, not the legislature and the um, the independent election commission. Right. That actually sounds um, like a lot of necks to choke, though. <laughs> oh, I don't like. Sorry, this analogy I want to keep all, playing Brian. out her analogy because no, this is the discussion she would like us to have, Claire. This is sick. No, it, it's sick because, um, especially when it's taken in the light of how many threats local election officials received in this last cycle or or in the past year, right? Because as we know, as um, you know, Republicans and their you know far right supporters have. Uh, drummed up this sort of big lie that there is a problem in how our elections are administered. It's made people skeptical of even their local elected officials. And, um, you know, folks have been able to prey on that skepticism to whip people into a frenzy so that they are making threats and sometimes even violent threats against their local elected officials, against their clerks in their counties and cities. Um, we've heard reports of that. Um, you know, we've had democracy defender um, allies around the state who have had to put together things like messaging points so that people know how to talk about um, thanking and defending their local clerks because we've never had to do that before. And, and it was all because of uh, of you know this this vitriol um, that they were facing, so it, it may seem a little sensitive, but I think that we need to be sensitive to um, violent rhetoric, even if it's meant not literally, but in a metaphor. Um, like we just we just can't tolerate that. And Claire, look, Claire, this is this is a pattern now we've seen from Clayfish. This language, you know her her rhetoric about how elections should be conducted it's just there's a real pattern here i thought it was notable in this discussion you know um so i i appreciate it uh let's actually talk more about this right in the actual details of this slew of legislation that let's just be honest it's about taking a couple of things here taking power away from governor evers which They've been all for. And by the way, this is let's remember, this is taking power away from statewide elected official and putting it in the hands of a gerrymandered legislature. Let's just be blunt about that. Right. Like that's not helpful to anyone. But that's what these are. It's a series of doing that from Evers, taking it from, as Claire mentioned, the Election Commission. Robert, this connects. Why would we do this when we just talked about this was the legislature that was serious about possibly going along with the insurrection? Well, that's right. And that's why the the reference to violence is important here as well, because this takeover was also grounded in violence. So remember, Trump used to flirt with violent language a lot, and his defenders would say it's metaphorical, and the left is all these snowflakes, etc. Well, uh, you know, we know that Trump now was trying to inspire violence, right? And so... And in fact, he did it this week, where he you know, said that white people are being killed because hospitals are putting black people in the front of the line for COVID treatment. And now there have been Nazi protests all over the country, including in Florida. OK, and so she's talking about 
um, getting the at the throat of the nonpartisan election commission with a three-three partisan split, right? Because it didn't help them in 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 stealing the last election, and part of that was violence. And by the way, a poll came out either either last this week or late last week that ten percent of Republican voters think violence is justified now. Okay, so there really is a threat of violence. And furthermore, international political scientists have pointed out that countries that are in this kind of middle position where they become less democratic and more autocratic, this middle ground, that they have a lot more political violence than stable democracies. So there you have it, right? And so this is very dangerous. And here's the problem with the, uh, with the election reforms, right, of deforms. First of all, they're giving a partisan legislature that actually had a leadership asking whether it could steal the last election, name Wisconsin electors when the voters voted for Joe Biden to give them authority over the Wisconsin Election Commission, which they created to replace an even more nonpartisan commission, the Government Accountability Board. They didn't like it to investigate Scott Walker's clear violations of election law during the recall election. That's what happened. And now they want partisan control. Hilariously, they'd removed it from the Secretary of State under Tommy Thompson. Why? Because it was a Democratic Secretary of State, uh, Doug LaFollette. So they didn't like an elected official who was a Democrat controlling the election, made it nonpartisan. Now they just want control. And as Claire pointed out, and they're gerrymandering the state again so that they don't even represent a majority. So this is both the party of violence and the party of insurrection and it's the party of um and and it's the party of, of minority rule. And furthermore, all of the other reforms, we haven't gotten all the little details, they're very Jim Crow like and that Jim Crow was not just black folks who can't vote. It was a whole series of reasonable seeming things that disproportionately impact black people who were enforced in a way to do so, so that not virtually voting went from very high during Reconstruction and just after Reconstruction to non-existent in Southern states. And they're all based, all these reforms, these common sense reforms, they're based on the big lie. They're based on the idea there was widespread election fraud in the state, which there was not, and the assumption that if there was, by the way, there wasn't, it came from Democrats. Where is that coming from? Well, that comes from coded racism. Oh, you know, it was in Milwaukee and Madison. And you know what that means. Oh, yes. So that is the level of this. It, it, it's all tied up in the big lie and Trumpism, folks, and, in, and, and insurrection. Claire, you get the last word on this. The last thing I'll say is that some of these provisions may seem like if you don't think about them very much that that it, it's like, so what? Why are we fighting about this? So something like um, requiring there to be a watermark on an absentee ballot um, may seem like, you know, whatever. Fine. They make they're making the ballots anyways. You know, why are we fighting this? I think what's important to remember is that. Some of these bills are very clearly um, and directly about trying to disenfranchise people, right? Trying to make it harder for votes to be counted. Things like saying a clerk can't write in a zip code or the state, you know, WI if you forget to put that on the outside of your absentee ballot, right? Like that is very clearly about trying to get specific votes discarded. But there are other measures that are not so clearly about trying to get individual votes discarded so much as it is about trying to slow down the electoral process and create additional administrative burdens that make it harder 
for underfunded local election officials to administer elections efficiently. And therefore, I'm trying to make it less likely that people will vote in ways that are easy for them and to make it more likely that mistakes will be made, therefore sort of validating this, this big lie, right? So, so when you're thinking about these bills and why they matter, don't just think about, is this about disenfranchising a specific voter? Also think about, is this just trying to advance the administrative burden of administering elections? Because that's a big deal. Well, I can tell you firsthand, uh, my wife voted absentee this past week and I, I was going to help certify or you know, sign it, have, actually having to think about like, no, don't put that in a Dropbox because it might get sued later and then your vote might not count, right? Like just thinking of all the minutia of what's going on, it's unfortunate, right? You know, that you have to think that way. Really appreciate this conversation. We'll continue to talk about this, folks. We're not going to stop talking about the fact that the president of the United States helped lead an insurrection against this democracy. And But you're listening to The Battleground Wisconsin. When we come back, we're going to be joined by Marina Dmitrievich. She was endorsed by Citizen Action this week in the Milwaukee mayor's race. We're going to talk to her, find out a little bit more about that election and also not only why it's important in Milwaukee, but why it's really important across this country to elect mayors who are willing to do big things right now in this time. You're listening to The Battleground Wisconsin. We're Citizen Action. You can find us at citizenactionwi.org. Welcome back to the Battleground, Wisconsin. We're going to be joined here in a second by Marina Dmitrievich. But first, Robert, a couple of quick thoughts on uh, the retirement of Senator Janet Buley. Just a reflection on that to say the Democrat minor leader for all of us. She's in a district that used to be very Democrat and it's now uh, plus four Republican because of the change in, in, in voting in Wisconsin and the success of the right-wing kind of rancid populist culture war message. And Bewley has been in the lane where she tried to run on very moderate kind of positions, right? And it's been known for a while she wasn't really even working to get reelection like she was running. So she's decided, I think, in part that she can't win I think we should reflect, I think, a stronger progressive populist. I think there's a lot of polling that shows this uh, position would do much better with these voters than a milquetoast moderate position. So I'm not going to I respect her leadership and her service, but I just think we should reflect on this and think about our whole model for how we run in these districts. And it should be much more boldly populist and progressive. All right. Thank you, Robert. And with that, folks, we are joined. By Marina Dmitrievich. We talked about it very briefly before that Citizen Actions Board just recently endorsed Marina yesterday, in fact, for the mayor of Milwaukee. Marina, thank you so much for taking the time to join us today. There's no place I'd rather be. Good morning. Now, it's great to have you. And I just want to say, we think we we think it's really important at this time that we actually have leaders who will take a look at some of the structural issues that we have been facing for decades now uh, in this country, and particularly in places like Milwaukee, uh, and start to look at how do we start to change some of these things so that all of our residents and the whole city can thrive. 
And so we're really thrilled to have be able to make that endorsement of you uh, because you want to do some of those things. Tell our listeners a little bit more about yourself, first of all, and, you know, why you're running and, you know, why you think this race is so important. This race is incredibly important. I mean, what a unique opportunity. We've only had four or five mayors in the past 100 years. And, you know, sometimes it doesn't feel like a whole lot has changed in 100 years in Milwaukee, and that's just not okay. Um, Our status quo is unacceptable, and I am running to challenge that status quo. And I do know many of you, as Matt mentioned um, throughout the years, nearly 18 years fighting the good fight at the county board, working families party, and now city hall as an alderwoman. Um, What you might not know is you can definitely find me in the neighborhood. I have a five and three-year-old and I spend most of my time momming, (laughs) but that puts a finer point on me loving our city. I get asked all the time, Matt, why I'm running. And I think people kind of mean like, why are you running? I want to know, but also why are you running? Because this is really... Uh, quite a battle here for a very important um, seat in the state of Wisconsin. And I say this, I love Milwaukee. I love Milwaukee so much, but we've got a lot of work to do. And it's such a critical moment. There's a ton of federal funding coming in, um, but I'm running not to just change the city, but to change the lives of the people in the city. Claire, first question. Thanks, Marina, for being on. One of the things that I appreciated the most about your participation, your comments at our mayoral forum, which is still live on our Facebook page. So if somebody wants to go back and watch Marina um, in that, um, you can to see why why we're so excited to endorse her. Please do. Um, But what I think what I was most excited about was your um, energy and fire in answering the last question about the attacks on public education in Milwaukee and how you will be a strong defender of uh, public education in our city. Um, I especially appreciate that as a former school board member here. I think it really helped differentiate you from um, the rest of the field, your passion on that. So I was wondering if you could give us a little bit of a taste of that about you know, uh, you know, this current attack on public education mm-hmm. in our city and, and how you would um, fight to strengthen education and experiences for children in our in our city. Yes, thanks, Claire. And thanks for your work on the school board. I mean, local government is a challenge and you felt it then and it's still there now. Um, I've talked about this in this race many times. You know, I hear sometimes that folks say, oh, you know, you're all nice people. You kind of sound the same. But there's a difference, as I mentioned in that forum, between being a defender and being an expander or being a champion. And in public education, we are always under attack. Public education in Milwaukee, the largest school system in the state of Wisconsin, is the home to the greatest opportunity that we have. And it's an equal opportunity for all. And unfortunately, money Uh, School choice vouchers love to get in these races and they're supported by Republicans in Madison. The new one wants to the new play by Alberta Darling is to, you know, dismantle MPS all over again and expand voucher and choice. So, I mean, I'm a mother. I have graduated from MPS. My kids are in MPS and I want to be the mayor of a city that has a great public school system that can not just survive, but thrive. So I'll defend that every single day. I've already said it. 
And not only will I defend it, I'm working to actually prepare students and families to succeed in Milwaukee public schools. That's where our resources and energy should be. Um, but I will defend the city of Milwaukee and our public schools whenever Republicans attack. I'm, I'm just like many families and you all, I'm sick of it and I'm not, I'm not standing for it. So I like your discussion of how it seems like things don't change in Milwaukee and how few mayors there have been, so how rare this opportunity is. But there's another sense in which Milwaukee's changed. That is, we had bold socialist mayors who uh, created whole brand new structures that made it possible to have this tremendous prosperity infrastructure, the best part, part, public park system in, in the, the whole country, in my opinion. And I could go on and on. And somehow that, that, that verb was lost in the 60s, sometime in the 60s and 70s, where the mayors have been very, very uh, status quo. And this is at a time when Milwaukee has lost ground where it was incredibly prosperous. It had the highest wages for African-American workers in the whole country and the middle class, which is why this is the last great stop on the great migration from the Jim Crow South. And it seems like this is something we really admire about you. As we stand the cusp of a new green economy that we must enter to prevent a climate catastrophe, it's a huge opportunity for Milwaukee to move to a whole new economic model, but only if we seize the opportunity and out front, there are gonna be massive climate investments from the federal level and state level eventually. The question is whether we're ready to put Milwaukee at the front of the line and make it one of the most prosperous and innovative cities in the country again, as opposed to kind of a, a, a city that's in the past and, and never leads. And so I think we need people who will challenge the status quo and have vision. And that's what we really admire about you. But if you could talk about kind of the relationship in climate and economic equity and racial equality and how there's a huge opportunity before the city. Yes, exactly. And I know, you know, many of us, when I say things haven't changed, um, we can unfortunately tick off and list off all of the terrible, terrible social and health determinants that we have, whether it be the disparity in income, racial injustice, the black home ownership, um, it can be a long tunnel, but I think there's hope at the end, as Robert mentioned, and seeing um, probably a revolutionary amount of funding that we've never seen before and may never see in our lifetimes, hundreds of millions of dollars. Whoever's going to be in that mayor's chair is going to help, and we know, and probably set a vision forward and be the executive level and chart a path, um, a blueprint, if you will, of how we're going to spend those funds, infrastructure, build back better uh, and our COVID relief, American rescue money. So if we do it in a way with a true lens that is based on achieving racial equity and using that lens that is also, um, targeting climate change, like, uh, Dr. Craig mentioned, we can rebuild the economy from literally from the ground up. So there's a difference between, like I said, just changing the city or changing the lives in the city. And that gets really deep into addressing things like the energy burden. I mean, we have true environmental racism going on. Um, The county city task force on climate change has great points that must be implemented immediately. And we have the funds to do it now. Um, And we can create those jobs, those green jobs that we're talking about. And we can use transitional jobs. Um, We can retrofit as we go forward and build new housing opportunities and do it the right way that actually creates long-term investments for our working families. Well, folks, I'll just say that sounds great to me. And I want to echo what Claire said. If you want to hear more uh, about 
where all the candidates are and why Marina stands out, please go watch that forum. But Marina, we want to thank you so much for joining us. And I, before you go, folks, the only way this is going to work, and we really need your help to get involved. If you want to support Marina, there's amazing volunteer opportunities this weekend. Uh, we're going to be phone banking. Marina's campaign is phone banking uh, Saturday afternoon. You can call anytime, essentially, but big shifts from noon to two and three to five, and then also Sunday, noon to two and three to five. If you're interested in that, we got a link on the site where you can go uh, and sign up. Uh, it's actually, I'll, I gave out Brian's email. We'll give out James. It's james at marina for milwaukee.com. Please get involved, volunteer. You can make these phone calls from home. These are absolutely critical calls. Marina, thank you so much for taking the time uh, to join us. Tell us more about your campaign and for running at this absolutely critical juncture in the city. Thank you. Please remember to early vote, vote February 15th and volunteer. We can do this. We can elect a progressive champion to co-govern with all of you for the city of Milwaukee. With that, folks, we have got to wrap up this Battleground Wisconsin again. We want to thank Marina Dmitrievich for joining us. Folks, listen to the Battleground. Share this with folks. Get it out to your friends. Uh, And with that, we'll see you next week here from Wisconsin.